looked a little different. But scripture tells us in the midst of bondage, beatings, and murder, in Exodus 1, 12, it says, the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew, and they were grieved because of the children of Israel. Even though Israel is in bondage, it's Israel's enemies that's grieving because they're watching the blessing of the Lord go forth on his people in the midst of a terrible season. And God had a land of promise for his people. But they were a bit too comfortable in Egypt. So God allows his people to become slaves in, in Egypt and work under Pharaoh. And how many of you know this? Sometimes we need a Pharaoh to come along and push us into a Red Sea so that God can do the miraculous. Sometimes our circumstance will push us to the place where we need the miraculous just because God wants to show something to us and prove himself to be real. We all love miracles, but we don't like the situations that require the miracles. And think of this. Moses is born into adversity his family and friends struggled. Questions were circulating. Where is God? We've been in, in prison, in bondage for 430 years. We thought by now that a deliverer would have come, that God would have bailed us out. He would have heard our cry. But here we sit for 400 years. And God makes a way for Moses to be raised in the home of Pharaoh's daughter. And Acts 7.22 tells us that Moses was learned in all wisdom of the Egyptians, the superpower of that war of the world at that time, and was mighty in words and deeds. Moses was educated in the greatest education that the world could offer at that time. Guess what? Who wrote the Pentateuch? Who wrote the first five books of the Old Testament? Moses. And this was only made possible by being raised in Egypt. It was there he learned the literary skills to collect and edit Israel's traditions and records and compose the first book of the Bible of God's people as they entered before even into their land of promise. Who knew that one of the results of Mo Moses' personal trial in Egypt would result in words from the Lord that would live on for 4,000 plus years and preachers would stand in pulpits in the 21st century still preaching the results of Moses' trial. When you study the life of Moses, you'll find his 120 years of life are broken down into three, I'm sorry, three 40-year categories. The first 40 years was a period of abundance. The guy had everything money could buy. He was educated in Egypt, raised as potentially the next pharaoh of Egypt. Blessing. The next 40 years was a period of abasement, a period where he, he kills the Egyptian, he flees into the desert, and he lives the next 40 years in the desert. Sure, he gets married to Zipporah, but you know what? He's traveling, he's wandering, he's trying to find out, what, what am I doing with my life? What is my purpose? Until he comes to a bush on the side of a mountain that's being burnt but not consumed. And God begins to speak to him and says, take your sandals off, you're standing on holy ground. But the last 40 is that of ministry where he was mightily used of God. Isn't it interesting 
Before David becomes king, he spends a long time in the wilderness. Before Jesus steps into public ministry and power, he spends time in the wilderness. Before Revelation was written, John needed to be alone in the wilderness on the island of Patmos and hear from God. And before Moses is mightily used of God, he spends 40 years in the wilderness. Don't despise the wilderness because God is preparing things in the wilderness for the next season of life and ministry. But remember this, God determines how you go into the wilderness. You determine how you come out of it. Every single, if you're not in the wilderness now, you're going to be there at some point. It's in the wilderness that he gets us alone and he speaks to us. John doesn't write Revelation if he's out ministering to the churches. We have Revelation, why? Because John was in a wilderness on an island. And so there are things that God is going to take you and maybe you are going through right now. That he wants you alone to hear his voice. So when you're in the middle of a fiery trial, take notes because why? You're not in hell. You're in school. The part of your life, you ever think about this? The part of your life that you would leave out, if you could look back, maybe you're there right now. You say, man, now that's something I could do without. I went through that. My heart hurt so bad. Matter of fact, it's still broken. I still haven't recovered from that issue or that letdown. Or that betrayal. Or that hurt. But the thing that you would leave out of your life is the thing that has made you who you are today. So you ask, did that happen to you or for you? No doubt Moses climbed a lot of mountains in his day. The Bible tells us about several of them. Well, think about this. Imagine trying to climb up a smooth side of a mountain. How does that work? Who's ever ran up a slide? Anybody? Bunch of rule breakers, man. Getting kicked out of McDonald's playgrounds here. That's a little more tough than just using the stairs. Oh, this mountain you gave me is so big. It's so rocky. It's so jagged. Yeah, try and climb up a smooth mountain. Sometimes the rocky side is there to get a good hand or foothold on something that is allowing us to go to a higher place. You see, Jesus certainly used challenges to develop his followers. They went through some serious storms, both literally and figuratively. He didn't just say, Peter, come on, man, upon this rock, I'm going to build my church. That happened a little bit down the road. And even then, the next thing is, thou art the devil, get behind me, Satan, okay? I mean, so there's ebbs and flows. But they went through some serious storms. Why? Because Peter wasn't ready to preach the day of Pentecost when Jesus said, follow me.
Matthew 14, 24, the disciples are in trouble far away from land. Strong wind rises up. They were fighting heavy waves. It sounds like they were in liberty. About three o'clock in the morning, Jesus comes toward them, walking on the water. The disciples see him, and they're terrified and fear. It's a ghost. But Jesus spoke to them at once and said, don't be afraid. Take courage. I am here. Daddy's got you. Just because they walked with Jesus did not mean that they didn't go through storms. The key is when they went through the storms, he was there to say, I am with you. Verse 28, Peter calls and says, Lord, if it's you, tell me I want to come walk on the water. And he said, yeah, come. So Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on the water toward Jesus. But when he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified. He began to sink. Save me, Lord. Why? Because sometimes in our faith, we step out into circumstances. And, and, and sometimes it's just a little deeper than we anticipated. Jesus immediately, he was with arm's reach. Within arm's reach, he grabbed him. He said, you got so little faith. Why did you doubt me? Their response in the storm showed their level of faith. I had faith in the storm, but not yet quite enough yet. That's why Jesus says, I still got a little bit more work to do in you before Pentecost. Because the Lord looks and he doesn't just see a circumstance. He sees a big picture. And so he takes us through things that get us prepared for what he has for us in the upcoming years. But he knows, Peter, you're close, but you're not there yet. A storm will reveal the depth of where we are with God. Anyone can praise God on the beach in the sunshine. Man, does that sound nice. Some of you, if I said, we're starting a beach ministry, you'd be like, where do I sign up? But where are we in the dark on a boat when it's about to capsize? Look what Paul tells the Philippian church, Philippians 4, 6, and 7. He says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Sure, Paul, easy. Yeah. Tell God what you need and thank him for what he's done. Then you will experience, oh, then I want the peace that passes all understanding, but that comes after something. It comes after, pray about everything, absolutely, let him know. But then thank him, and then you're going to experience peace, which exceeds anything anyone can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds. Why? Because I need my mind to be guarded sometimes. When we are anxious, what we're really saying, though, is similar to what Cleopas said on the road to Emmaus. Lord, I was really hoping you had this under control. That's what, that's what anxiety is saying in our hearts. Lord, I had hoped, past tense, when I started this journey, when I stepped out in faith, I had hoped you had this. So now I got to try and figure out what to do because I'm taking back the realm and reins of control. 
Listen, God said he would never leave and forsake us, but he never said there would be times we didn't feel forsaken. Jesus said that himself on the cross. So we know it's okay. There are times you will feel forsaken. But it's not the truth. But you look at how that storm ends up. They climb back into the boat, verse 32, and the wind just stops. The disciples, were, it says, what does it say? What's the first word? At verse 33? Where are you at, Brother Jim? 1433, Matthew 1433. There we go. What's the first word? Then. Kind of sounds like the Israelites. When did the worship start? It's when they went through the Red Sea and got to the other side. Too often our worship starts once God comes through. But the Lord's challenging me and every, every other person in this place that the worship needs to start before the circumstances figured out. And he says here, so what happens? Then, the, then they get in the boat. Then the winds stop. Then the worship begins. Oh, God, you're the son of God. Well, what in the world? Did they not have a full understanding of who he was until this moment? It was after they made it through the storm that they knew the power that Jesus really had. There are certain things in our lives, our ministries, and our walk with God that we will never understand about God until we have gone through a few storms. You see, a crisis to us is not a crisis to God. God does not panic, nor does he, he doesn't wring his hands wondering, what should I do next like we do? God does not lose sleep, fret, or pace the floor. What we humans view as a crisis is not a crisis from God's vantage point. God is in control. He knows the exact nature of our circumstances. God cares about us even in the midst of that circumstance. And you know what else? A crisis will not last forever. One of my favorite phrases in all of the Bible is this, and it came to pass. How many times is that in Scripture? And it came to pass, and it came to pass. So guess what? Where you are, this too is going to pass. Our timing is not the same as God's timing. God knows everything we need and even before we know we need it. Even difficult circumstances will eventually change or God will provide us with strength to cope with the crisis. We like healing. Does anybody like healing? Does anybody like miracles, signs, wonders? We love healing. But check this out. We've probably used this passage of scripture before. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, there hath no temptation taken you, but such is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above what you're able, but will with the temptation make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. 
But here's the thing. That does not say anything about healing. That does not say anything about him taking it away. Sometimes God heals, and I'm going to continue to sing songs about healing because God does it, and it's biblical, and we believe in it. But sometimes he looks and he says, no. And instead, he wraps his arm around you and says, Daddy's got you. Instead of the healing, put it back up, Brother Jim, please. I'm going to give you the strength to bear it. I'm not taking it away. You're in the wilderness. And whether you like it or not, I love you enough to know I'm doing something right now. I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to forsake you. But you're going to get strength to bear it. Paul knew this firsthand, didn't he? Paul begged God to take something away. So when you walk up to someone who's been praying for healing, say, you just need to have more faith. Just watch yourself. Did Paul not have faith? Did the apostle Paul not have faith? You better believe he had faith. And what does that next verse say, 2 Corinthians 12, 7? Even though Paul says, I've received such wonderful revelation from God, so to keep me from being proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh. A messenger from Satan to torment me and keep me from becoming proud. Three times I begged God to take it away. Has anyone here have enough courage to raise your hand and say, I have begged God to take something away and it's still there. I begged God to take it away. And every time he responded to me and he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. There will be times that we will beg God to take something away. And there will be times he will do just that. But there will also be times he leaves it right in our flesh to keep developing something in us. I want to bring this message around full circle. I started by talking about Cleopas and how God does things in our lives that we sometimes are, are just wish were way different. And sometimes, like they did, we can lose hope in what the present has and what, where the future is guiding us. But God showed me my children today, and he gave me this message. And he gave me this title of this message. And he said, Daddy's got you. Daddy's got you. Why? Because... Any good parent or guardian, something happens in life, daddy's got you. Now, as I begin to bring this around, I want to tell you that my goal here is to share a reflection that I think is going to speak to you. 
but I don't want to make this message about me and my family because it's about God and his goodness. But I think sometimes in a personal reflection, you can gain something from that transparency. So if you love transparency, you're gonna, this might be your favorite message before it's all said and done. If transparency makes you uncomfortable, you probably, this is not going to be a top five for you. So I've never yet reflected or spoke about this publicly. Now, I cried last week, so I'm going to do my best to not do that again. Crying makes people, especially from a guy, people make, get very uncomfortable, and you start to look at the floor and count how many ceiling square tiles are in front of you on the carpet. But I can't promise anything. Why? Because I'm emotionally healthy. So I'm going I'm to just try and communicate this the best that I can. But on December 2nd of this past year, Refuge Church brought the launch phase of the stewardship campaign to a close. We collected a record one-time offering of more than $40,000. That's awesome. Like so many of you, my wife and I, we stretched and gave not only a sacrificial pledge, but we brought the largest offering that day that we personally had ever given at any time in our lives. We clung to the promises of God's word like you did and do. We wholeheartedly believed in everything I preached and stepping out in faith, knowing God would provide. We believed that God was going to pour out his blessings upon us and the church. Exactly nine days after we gave that first fruits offering, on Tuesday, December 11th, my wife took my son to a doctor appointment because of health concerns. I was on my way to meet the appraiser of, to get the value of this church. And she called me as I was three minutes away from the church to meet this, this man. That poor man. She said, we're urgently being sent to children's mercy because our three-year-old has a blood sugar of over 1,000. Normal for that age is 80 to 180. He was immediately diagnosed with type 1 diabetes and autoimmune disease with no cure. Uh, this is not the type 2 disease. I know sometimes people in their well-meaning say, well, just eat right, exercise. They're very different. This is the one where he will be on insulin and an insulin pump and glucose monitoring for the rest of his life if God doesn't intervene. This is the one where we wake up through the night multiple times to check on him. This is the one where my wife was up for hours last night as he dropped to dangerous lows in the mid-40s as she tried to get him back up with juice. During worship and Pastor Chad's message this morning, my wife was running downstairs because Titus dropped all the way down to 53. My wife is an amazing mother in addition to everything else she does great. Our lives and his life changed instantaneously. We're on a part of a Facebook support group. I didn't think I'd ever need a support group. We rushed over to the hospital, got put in a room that night right away. You knew something's up when there's a waiting room full of people and you get fast pass, you know, to the front of the line. <laughs> Teams of doctors started coming in immediately and talking to us about what it was we were dealing with. At that point, I could not have told you what the difference was between type 1, type 2. I, no idea. Instantly, 
Titus started getting poked with needles over and over again. And without thinking, he was screaming, without registering in my brain, I whispered to him the same thing I've always whispered to him at every doctor appointment, every shot for immunizations. And I said, just one more shot, buddy, and it'll be over. No more after this. And my wife, she looked at me and she said, don't tell him that. That's not the truth. He's going to get thousands of shots for the rest of his life. Reality sets in quick. But you know what also sets in quick? Begging God to take it away. So when somebody says, you just need to pray. Man, I wish I had thought about that. Paul sought God three times. I sought God 300 times and counting. The moment I stepped away at the hospital to use the restroom, I am in the bathroom begging God to heal him and that somehow they'd find something that was an infection and that this is not a reality. And if you've ever had a, now granted, again, I know so many of you, you, you've had diagnoses like this. You've struggled. You've had health issues. So I know that I'm the one that has the mic telling my story, but I know there's other stories out there. Doctors began telling us there's no cure. Type 1 is irreversible. They don't know what causes it. This is his life from now on. Of course, I'm positive Titus can be healed. I'm positive. I know that. And so every time they pray for healing, I'm going to be with him at the altar. You can just know I'm going to be a regular. God could take it all away, and I've been ready since December 11th for that. But I always know that God doesn't always take things away because we want him to. So I had to process probably still process at times, where I was with God to consider if he was going to look at me and just say, my grace is sufficient for you. My plan is that this trial you're going through, I promise you, I'm going to be with you through it. I'm not going to take it away, but I'm going to go with you through it. I don't know. I hope I preach this message as a lesson and next week I celebrate healing. But suddenly I felt like the men on the road to Emmaus and just saying, Jesus, I was just kind of hoping my path was going to look different. I wish I had an incredible conclusion to the story. I went to the doctor yesterday, and so here's the one where someone could get on the organ and we could pound that thing and we could just rejoice together. But I can't. Our family is still on this journey. We're walking at it this moment, last night, this morning. And in prayer these past couple of weeks, I'm just feeling like many of you are feeling some of those same things. You're frustrated because you're trying so hard to do right and please God. You're giving sacrificially. You're serving in ministry. You're faithful. And yet you find yourself in a storm. You're in the middle of the wilderness. 
You've got a thorn in your flesh. The first night at the hospital after our son's diagnosis, they checked him in. And I mean, like I said, we're so naive. We're like, are we staying tonight? They're like, you probably might be staying three nights. And we're like, we've always had a healthy family. We just... Titus was so wore out and poked up already, they had him in a little bed at Children's Mercy. And uh, I crawled up in that bed. <laughs> you know, it changes. You know, before then, I would not, you ain't sleeping with me. Like, no, I'm not sleeping with you. I, I value my sleep, and I want to be comfortable. And all of a sudden, like, you just don't care. Like, I don't care if I sleep at all. And so, I got up next to him in the bed, and I laid there the entire night. Just cuddled up next to him. And uh, every time they came in to poke him, he'd kind of startle, get slightly scared, or start to cry. And I'd put my face right up next to his face, and I would whisper. I'd say, Daddy's got you. Daddy's got you, bud. Don't worry, Daddy's right here. And at one point when I did that, I felt God speak to me and simply say, I do. I do. You might be going through something today. But God is here to say that same thing. Daddy's got you. Daddy's got you. The journey has not gone the way I wanted it to. And I am not going to sit here and say, so every day I wake up and I begin to worship God. And I begin to clap my hands and dance on my living room floor. That, I'm just not there. I worship God. And I've said, God, the good Lord gives, takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Jesus, I'm going to worship you through this. I force myself to worship because I know he's worthy. And I know in my heart or in my head what I'm not feeling in my heart. And so, but I do see God's hand in it. Lord, we have to pay $330 a month out of pocket to monitor this glucose. Our insurance doesn't cover it. To which God replies, I saw this coming. So I've blessed your wife's business to cover it. Because before December last year, Titus, he was acting out of control. Folks, I mean, I'm telling you, we have read all of the parenting books. We're going, what is wrong with us as parents? Like, we need to go to a counselor. I don't even know. I've done the same things that I've done with the other two. I've said the same two things. I have used the same spoon. God, help me. <laughs> and my wife started begging God, and she was like, please show me what is wrong with our son. And she would beg God that. And God clearly and almost immediately answered her prayer. He showed us what was wrong with our son. He gave us a physical diagnosis that was affecting so much of his life and health. 
We didn't want it. We didn't like it. But God answered her prayer. He showed us what was going on. And doctor after doctor, and I'm almost done, came in and told us how amazed they were that we found this out this quick because most children that are over 1,000 that long go right to, 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 not urgent care, ICU. He never, he never stepped foot in ICU. If we continued undiagnosed, one extreme nighttime low, one low la- like last night, he dies. So, can I step back and say, God, but I can say, I see your hand. I see your hand. And folks, I pray that something in sharing this publicly, transparently, maybe will speak to somebody. Because the wilderness isn't usually pretty. The thorn in the flesh usually hurts. And the storm can be powerful. And there's someone here or watching online that the thorn is killing you. The storm is so intense and the wilderness is so nasty that you're like, God, What am I doing? Where am I at? What is the purpose? And people meaning well, they go, don't worry, it's going to make sense in the end. I never say that. Because in our humanity, his thoughts are so far above our thoughts, his ways so far above our ways. I may go the rest of my human existence here on this planet and never have a clue why God did what he did. But when you love and serve and trust him, you keep walking You keep praising, and you keep saying, God, this makes no sense, but I know you're with me. I know you see the big picture. I know you're in control. I know that you have this. I know that you have, you knew this was going to happen from the foundation of the world. And so, folks, as you stand to your feet, God is going to use the storm to reveal things about you. And actually, I'm going to throw a curveball here. I don't know if you can do this or not. My wife in here, Janae, whoever, I don't know if you can do this. But I want to sing the last song that we ended with. Miracles. He prepares us in the wilderness. He gives us grace when things really hurt our flesh. And... uh, Message like this, you don't end by singing miracles because there's not a lot of faith right now. No, 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 no. Faith should be higher than ever before. God, the fact that my son has this diagnosis or whatever you're struggling with is going on, that does not change his power one iota. It actually can cause us an increase in our level of faith when we say, oh, I'm not I'm not going to be one of these people that, how's it going, bro? I'm going to a Missouri conference here in a month. Somebody comes up and says, go, brother, how's it going? How's Titus, brother? I do not go, oh, praise God, brother. God's in control. Things are great. Somebody says, how's Titus? I say, it's a journey every day. We're doing our best to navigate the waters. 
I am a real person. I am not going to put on a facade because I pastor a church and I'm supposed to always have it together. Listen, there are some days where I'm like, God, this disease is horrible. I got a thorn in my flesh. Take it away. But you see, God says, no, 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 the the desert, the thorn, and the storm are three things that I use to get you exactly what and where I want you to be. Because if I answered everything you asked me to do, then you will become who you want to become. And I love you so much that I want you to become who I want you to become. And so as you're walking today, maybe you're going, man, this message didn't minister to me at all. I'm, not, I'm, I'm laying on the beach right now in the sun and the palm trees. Life is great. Well, then praise God. That's wonderful. Enjoy that season. But for some of you, you're right there with me going, all right, things have been a little challenging. I, I probably would have wrote my, this chapter of my story just a little bit different than what it's been written. I think I'd have mixed it up a little bit. Just know that you're about to come to an altar and you're about to have someone wrap their arms around you just like I did to my son in that bed. And and he's going to whisper in your ear and say, I know it hurts, but daddy's got you. I know this is confusing right now, but daddy ain't leaving. I'm right here. I'm right here. I'm right here. I'm walking with you. I'm holding your hand. I'm whispering in your ear. It's going to be okay. And that's why I can still sing. I believe in you. I believe in miracles. Because my present circumstance does not dictate his ability to perform a miracle. And I think when we can embrace that, I think we're on that mountain, we just got a little bit higher. On that mountain, it's jagged. We might have some cuts along the journey. It caught our shins, our arms a little scraped up, but I just moved up a little bit higher. I just went a little bit further in where God wants to take me on this journey. You just remember, Daddy's got you. It might not be the season you want, It might not be the circumstance you envisioned, but Daddy's got you. He walks with you. He walks with you. He's not going to leave you alone. He's developing something in you right now that's going to prepare you for the next season. It hurts. It's not fun, but He's with you. He's molding and shaping you. I 